Valvoline instant oil change is the quick, easy, trusted place for your next oil change. Valvoline's convenient, no appointment needed. You can even stay in your car while they do the work. You have to sit in some waiting room, you know? Mm -hmm. Their friendly certified technicians have over 270 hours of training and they get you in and out fast while performing a thorough free 18-point maintenance check with your oil change. We got someone here who just experienced this, our own Aaron Blair. Blair, well, how was it? It was awesome. I took my Jeep uh, jock jams in and got a sweet oil change. And uh, and I actually brought a book because I thought it would take a while. And uh, they had me in and out in like 15 minutes. It was awesome. Well, also, you should point out, you can't read. I can't. So, But I wanted people to <laughs> you, think I could. Yeah, but I mean, uh, come on. Yeah, maybe somebody hot is there. And they're like, literate. oh, what are you reading? I'm like, oh, and then, then you know, now I've, I'm, I got a date. Yeah, yeah I don't but, think that's, uh, that's not how people meet each other. Didn't, didn't have time for that. Yeah, so if you see Blay driving around in his beautifully oiled jock jams, <laughs> give him the old thumbs up. <laughs> or throw a tangerine at him. <laughs> Anyway, uh, Valvoline, they're doing it right. Visit valvoline.com slash Conan for an exclusive offer towards your next oil change. This episode is brought to you by McDonald's. Not sure you've heard of them. (laughs) Up and coming uh, little restaurant, but they're making it. They're the little engine that could. You know, the moment of bliss when you spot your fries being scooped into the carton and suddenly time slows down. I have that all the time. I love their fries. Oh, yes. McDonald's fries hit different when they're free. That's another thing I'll tell you. And when they belong to your friends, there's no better feeling than thinking you're out of fries and then you discover extra fries at the bottom of your bag or else my son still hasn't finished his fries and I'm done with mine. And- uh, he used to be weaker than me so I could just take them. Yeah. Now I can't because he's stronger than me. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's no wrong way to eat McDonald's fries, but we all think our way is the best way. And I like stealing them from someone else. That's my favorite <laughs> way. Get your favorite McDonald's fries today. McDonald's, check them out sometime. They're everywhere. Hi, my name is Michael Shore. And I feel, uh, you know, fine about being Conan O'Brien's friend. No exclamation point. No. Not underlined. No. Is fine in italics? No, that's too much uh, emphasis and stress on the word. It really has to be neutrally, (laughs) neutrally read and delivered. Fall is here, hear the yell, back to school, ring the bell, brand new shoes, walk in blues, climb the fence. Hello there, and welcome to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. I'm Conan, it's probably obvious, and uh, I'm joined, as always, <laughs> that's not obvious by now, something's wrong, uh, joined by Sona Mavsessian. Hey, Sona. Hi. Uh, okay, this isn't a morning show. A morning drive time show. Sorry. It has all the ingredients, though. Yeah, it sure does. We're doing some weather and traffic in just a minute. Uh, Matt Gorley also joining us. Hey, Matt. Hey. (laughs) You know what would be great is if we did use part of the budget to rent a helicopter. You know, like the way someone else would talk about traffic patterns and what's happening. Mm. And we have a helicopter and it's flying around, but it's doing, it's serving no function on the podcast. <laughs> what's it doing? It's just, I'm, every now and then I'm checking in with the, checking in with the Colonel Brian needs a friend chopper, you know? And I'm just like, hey, Colonel Brian needs a friend chopper. You know, we got, uh, 
Aaron Blayert's up there. Hey, Aaron. And uh, Aaron, you can come on, Mike. Hey, everyone. What's going on? And what we'd do is we'd put, uh, you'd be in a chopper and you'd be flying around Los Angeles and we'd just be checking in with you every now and then. And it's a podcast, so people listen to it either now or six months from now, or they never listen to no, it. you're checking in on the web traffic. Yeah. How's the web traffic? Play. Metrics are high, and the ones and zeros are looking pretty good, but I think we got a hold up on the packets uh, coming from uh, Netscape. Nice. <laughs> all right. Jesus. That was pretty wow. good. That was pretty so good. It, he's not commenting at all on what he's seeing in the helicopter. No, no. The helicopter. He's looking at a computer. Sona, please. I can't be more clear about this. The helicopter serves no function. <laughs> and and I want, when we play this, I want there to be helicopter noise, ambient helicopter noise around Blay, you so you it. know exactly what it's like. And I just, uh, hey, check in now with the uh, Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend chopper again, our man Blay up in the chopper. That's our own chopper that we bought. Uh, that it used to be, uh, chopper was formerly used in Operation Desert Storm. We purchased it. <laughs> we purchased it for $1.6 million. We painted the Conan logo on the side, and Aaron Blair is now high above Los Angeles or by the 101 freeway. How are the downloads going? The downloads are going great. Our router's running pretty hot over here. Cat5 cable is a little bit of a mess. You can expect to slow down until mid-morning. Okay, thank you very much for that, Aaron Blair. We call him the Blay Man up in the chopper. Rotor Blay. Yeah. <laughs> can I, I have to go to the bathroom. Can I come down? No. From the okay. no, no, no. We put a coffee can up there for a reason. Okay, a long time. No, no. That is a coffee can that has a specific purpose in mind. Okay, we'll be checking Wait, can in with I, the ch- can I ask him about what he's seeing? Like, can I be like, hey, how is the, how's the weather up there in the chopper? No, because that oh. actually, then, that gives there to be, that gives there to be. Great job, Conan. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's chopper fumes that I'm high on. That means that there's some purpose to the chopper, and it's oh, okay. important that the chopper have no purpose. So even if Blaze said, clear skies, um, and people hear that when they listen to this episode seven months after it drops uh, because yeah. they're on a long car trip and their favorite podcast doesn't have a new <laughs> doesn't have a new drop. Uh, then um, it, I don't even want them to know what the weather was like today. It's got to be useless information. Sona, why can't you get your head wrapped around I'm this? I'm sorry. Perfect I, I concept. Just, hey, can I you just, fix it? Can you fix it, Matt, so that Sona's in a mini sub right now? Absolutely. Yeah, some sonar, sonar, yeah, some sonar, sonar noises. And of course, uh, for this episode, Sona is in a small, this is a repurposed 1959 Korean mini sub uh-huh. uh, that we purchased from the, uh, from the uh, Korean government. Uh, that's South Korean. Uh, yeah. We try to get a North Korean one. They are not, not. I guess we're, it's illegal for us to trade with them. Uh, anyway, uh, Sona, how's it going? You are now, it says here you are 35 leagues under the sea in yeah. the Pacific Ocean uh, uh-huh. off the island of Moratu. I believe I just made up that island. What's up, Sona? What do you see? Uh, I just see a lot of water, and uh, it's really it's really cool and a little moist. Okay. Um, very good. But I don't know. I, I'm not very good at uh, at at being in a in a sub. Well, I don't know what to tell you. Then clearly, I don't know why you volunteered to man the mini sub. If you now confess to us, you're not very good. At being I in a didn't. Sub. I did not volunteer. Bad, you made me go down here. Bad improv to deny yes. what I just laid out. Um, yeah, that I, could cause I, damage to your sub. Always yes and, Sona. Always yes and. That's the first thing you learn when you join the Navy. 
Yes, mm. and. So, let's try that again. Okay. Sona, you've clearly been drinking a lot um, yes, in the mini-sub. Uh, what uh-huh. kind of alcohol have you been drinking? Yes, and <laughs> I uh, had uh, some, you know, I had a couple martinis down here. We, uh, we yes, it, and. We, yes, just say, too many martinis, Ossifer. Too many martinis. I had too many martinis, Ossifer. That's the old joke, and it works even so far under the Pacific Ocean. Yes. The surface of the Pacific Ocean. Uh, anyway, and back to our chopper now. Uh, Aaron, um, tell us. You're up in the chopper. Very expensive chopper. I love saying chopper. Mm-hmm. Aaron Blair up there in the chopper right now. Tell us, what, what do you got for us in the Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend podcast chopper today? Seeing a lot of pixelation in the, in the GIFs, JPEGs, and the PNGs, but if you're going to be downloading stuff, make sure it's in raw format because that's going to get you the quality you need. Yeah. Uh, that's the kind of information that you need a helicopter to provide. <laughs> and Sona, of course, doing yeah. her best uh, from uh, now it says... <laughs> doing her best. It says you are 122 monocle... Uh, monocle. Nautical, monocle miles. Yes. <laughs> I don't know what my problem is monocle today. Monocle Niles and too, too many tortillas. Oh, my God. Prophet yes, Bert. and... And I am in the in this submarine, and it is. I am. Uh, I'm exploring uh, shipwrecks. Sona, you are taking on water very quickly. Your yes, sub is in. And I'm. Uh, <laughs> I forgot how to swim. Sona, for improv, you don't say yes and in every sentence. It's going the spirit of yes and, but you don't say yes and. That's terrible improv in its own way. Oh, okay. All right. I am taking on water. Um, I don't. I don't. I wish I brought uh, scuba equipment instead of these martini glasses. <laughs> yes, uh, and that would have been a good idea. Yes. See, doesn't quite work. Uh, no. Yes, and let's get this show started. <laughs> yes, and yeah. I I'm gonna have quality control experts come and uh, <laughs> check the quality of this podcast open. I do uh, I do fear. Oh, no. And <laughs> what if Blade was in a real chopper and we were doing this conceptual bit about how the chopper was unnecessary and then uh, Blade crashed in that chopper? That would just be terrible. <laughs> and I had Don't to- make that joke. No, 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 he's not in a real chopper. I can make that joke. <laughs> But what okay. I'm saying is I would hate to have to tell his family, they'd be like, why? Why was our son in a chopper? He didn't have to be in a chopper. That's what was so funny about it. <laughs> why, did, why did you put me in a submarine and then actually ask me about what I was seeing in the submarine? I mean, I don't know why he can have a useless helicopter, but I I need to actually like pay attention in my son's in my submarine. Also, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> this is... I invite anyone to edit this open into something that makes some semblance of sense. No. Yes. Go ahead. Uh, Anyone out there listening, feel free to edit this together to either A, make more sense, or B, make less sense. And then- Send it in. <laughs> we'll let you know how you did. Uh, all right. Well, listen, uh, safe home to Sona and to Aaron Blair uh, in their dangerous, strange, unnecessary crafts. Uh, we have a terrific show. My guest today is an Emmy award-winning writer and producer behind some of the biggest television comedies of the last 20 years. He's worked on such shows as The Office, Parks and Recreation, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and The Good Place. Good Lord. Uh, he now has a new book, How to Be Perfect, The Correct Answer to Every Moral Question, available now. I am thrilled 
He's uh, with us today. Extremely talented gentleman. Mike Schur, welcome. First of all, I want to uh, initiate any of the uninitiated out there who don't know about the great Mike Schur. Uh, you have been part of, and Sony, you put it best. Yeah. Literally everything yes. Mike Shore has worked on and and helped create and write has been fantastic. Mm-hmm. I've looked for a flaw in the armor. Uh, <laughs> I can't find it. I can't find the one pilot you did uh, about the the talking rabbit with no legs. Um, that. <laughs> Completely bombed. It ran for eight years, <laughs> but it was terrible. It wasn't good, but it, it was ran on. For eight U- years. It was on UPN. Um, <laughs> I like season six where he gets wheels. Yeah, that was replaced. a. That was a. I'm glad you pointed that. I was a yeah. big break. Some people think that's where the show jumped the shark, but uh, yeah, Mr. Quabbles, it was called. Right. Um, but no, uh, I'm going to just go through it right now for everyone listening. Uh, the Good Place, The Office. You worked on The Office. Mm-hmm. Uh, you played uh, Dwight's cousin Moses with. The most improbable beard I've ever seen depicted. Yeah. Is it Moses or Mose? It's Mose. Mose. It's yeah. Mose. Mose. I'm sorry, Mose. Yeah. Mose. You, you messed that up. He was he was giving the formal <laughs> name of the character. I call him Moses. <laughs> yeah. But yes, his name is Mose. You play his brother Mose, and uh, uh, and. Awesome. I'm so sorry. There's live fact-checking going on from Sona. You said brother. It's not his brother. I'll fix it. Yeah, thank you for listening to this podcast, but he doesn't watch your show. Is it Skur? S C H U R? That's right. Yeah. Let's no one fact check him now. Let's just see at the end we'll do a review <laughs> of everything he got wrong. He worked on a show called Parks Recreationally. <laughs> but I gotta say, on the good place, my favorite character was Chitty. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so you I so can you, do this all day. It's just you read you just read the Wikipedia is what we're learning. So you don't know how to pronounce it. I'm reading Wikipedia now no, on you. <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't prep for you, sir. It says you were born in Ann Arbor, Michigan. You don't even know the U.S. states. This is <laughs> this has now gone from you didn't do any prep to just you have a deficiency of education. <laughs> now, Connecticut. You moved to Connecticut, which is where you were raised. Uh, <laughs> this is the whole pot. We should do this for an hour and a half. <laughs> but uh, you've worked on all these brilliant shows, and your comedy pedigree is... Uh, really superb. And I thank you for being here. But the purpose today, and I think this is uh, something I've been really excited about, is you've written a book, How to Be Perfect, The Correct Answer to Every Moral Question. Mm -hmm. And you bring up in this book so many things that I've thought about. And I'm an immoral man. Right. (laughs) (laughs) The book is essentially for you. (laughs) You know, I saw that. It's It's dedicated (laughs) to you. It was dedicated to Conan O'Brien in the hopes that he reads and learns. Yeah, maybe this will help is what it says. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You called me the Dahmer of comedy writing, which... Um, I think of myself more as a Bundy because my social skills are off the charts. Right. You're very charismatic. I'm charismatic. And handsome. Yes. And a psychopath. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know how hard it is to get the door handle off the inside of a VW Bug? It's not easy. Hi. Things took a very dark turn very quickly. Um, I remember you talk about something in the book where tipping at a Starbucks. Yeah. And in this book, you really are trying to take people through ethical questions and, 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 You can learn from this book, but it's also very funny and light. You take them through these ethical questions and 
you talk about you're tipping at a Starbucks, but you want to see the person, the barista, to see you give the tip. Right. <laughs> yes. That was the thing that, that hit me was that I waited until the barista turned back around with my coffee before I put we the have, money. <laughs> we, have, we have all done that. Yeah. Sona, have you done that? Oh, uh, yeah, I have. I want to say no, but I have. I don't think you tip. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't think you tip the what do you mean? I've been with you, and you said, I got a good tip for you. I don't well, play in traffic. No. First of all, whenever you're with me, you you pay for everything. <laughs> well, that's, that is that's true. That's a good, nice way to back into that a little factoid. Well done. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I do. Thank I you. I like the idea, though, of Sona waiting until <laughs> the barista turns around and then not tipping, like aggressively <laughs> not tipping, looking at him right in the eye. Yeah, and then she folds her arms. (laughs) But she also, you do this thing sometimes where you show the barista how much cash you have. I have money. You show them tons of ones. Yeah. And you like to fan them out like a poker player. And then I show where it goes, where I would have put the money. You start to show how easily it fits into the tip jar, (laughs) but then you take it out. Right, exactly. Right. Yeah, I want them to see that. Right. And then you just say, do better next time. (laughs) Next time. (laughs) You know the ways in which you could have improved. (laughs) You know what you did. So much in that same way, just as we were starting the podcast, and it's so embarrassing that I have to bring this up, but you mentioned that, I'll just say it because now I'm a reporter reporting what happened, that this was uh, your favorite podcast. And I said, no, 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 no. I never said that. Yes, you did. You did. Uh, I remember you said it. and, and, um, And I said, no, 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 no. We say that on the air. Correct. Uh, So listen, all joking aside, all joking aside. No, you don't have to do this. No, I do. All joking aside, despite what I said about how I feel about being Conrad Ryan's friend, this is a, I'm very thrilled to be here. Mm -hmm. This is honestly, no joke, my favorite podcast. There you go. I'm very starstruck to be sitting with Sona. (gasps) I hear Matt Gorley's voice and it's, and it's. He's over there. I can't look him in the eye. Don't look him in the eye because guess what? Huge fan. I Thank know you. that's incredible that you just said that. No, it's well, it true. Me and Matt. Okay. That's uh, great. And, and I'm very happy to be here. So I just had yeah. to. I, let's get that out of the way. Let's get that out of the way. But much no, like Conan, you can take fifty. We're just going to do some. Talking. Yeah. Much <laughs> like the tip jar. What my my the point I'm trying to make is I did the same thing. You talk about this in your book, and I'm like, no, 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 no. If you're going to praise the podcast. If, if praise is given in the forest, but no one's there to see it, was there praise? <laughs> right. That's how I've always interpreted that saying about the tree falling. If no one hears it- If no one hears someone compliment me, then did, they, did it even happen? It didn't, they, it didn't happen. Sure. And so um, that's why I'm going to need you to write out what you said, <laughs> and we're going to need to somehow get it published. I don't even know how that- Just skywrite it maybe or something. We'll, the do, plane. we'll figure it out. Yeah. Countless pilots crash trying to write that. So let me and I keep lives are lost. <laughs> me trying that guy, that pilot had six kids. I don't care. Get another pilot. All it said is this is my favorite, and then it crashed. So let me ask you this then: If you're saying you did this, because I in the book I write about this long journey I went through trying to figure out why I did it and what it meant. Right. What when you noticed yourself doing it? What was your feeling about yourself? Uh, not good. <laughs> and and I'll, I'll tell you something. There was a episode. Leave it to Beaver. Okay famous uh, black and white sitcom. For Very modern early. modern reference, contemporary <laughs> reference. Sorry, I'm taking the younger people along with us. There was a famous sitcom that actually was quite good, quite single camera uh, sitcom from the early 60s called Leave it to Beaver. And there's an episode where the older brother, they ask everybody to donate to a friend of theirs who's been in an accident. And the older brother um, has like $50 in his pocket and it's like a $50 bill, which in 1960 is like a huge amount of money. And he's been saving it to buy a car. 
and it's the only bill he has. So when it's his turn to put the money in the box and everyone's looking, he doesn't put it in. Mm. Then he feels bad and goes back later on and puts the money in, but no one saw him. Right. And that's what the whole episode is about. That burned into my brain. When I saw that rerun as a kid, I totally thought, yes, you have to go and tell everyone. By the way, I did go back and put the 50 in, but- the point of the episode was, no, you don't. God knows, or the right. what you did was the right thing. And I realized in that moment as a kid that I was on the wrong side of this issue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the, the question when you see an enormous anonymous donation to a museum or a symphony or anything, I have, I cop to the feeling of moral curiosity. I just want to know who it was, it was or, or just, just straight up gossip. Like, I just want to know who did that. And I, at times, especially in this city, I think that there are some anonymous donations that are made because maybe the people who are making them would know that LA museum goers wouldn't necessarily like the fact that this particular person is donating to this museum. There's also people like the Sacklers who are- I was just going to bring up the Sacklers. Right, who are responsible, largely responsible for the opioid crisis in this country, who plastered their name over a million charities in order to kind of try to either whitewash their reputation or- they're just egomaniacs. And by the way, we this podcast gets a lot of money from the Sacklers. I just want to say that right now. It's Raytheon, right? The Sacklers. We get Sacklers, Raytheon, General uh, Dynamics, Facebook. Yeah. Zuckerberg by himself. A lot of defense yeah. contractors. <laughs> a lot of uh, people that we get most of the money from uh, manufacturers of missiles. Mm. Anything that uh, guidance for, systems, laser guidance systems, yes. stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, Landmines. Mm -hmm. We are hugely under. That's how we got these great, amazing microphones. <laughs> And just a shout out to General Dynamic Landmine. So someone's going to win a Nobel Peace Prize for shutting this podcast down. <laughs> but uh, it's this. This gets into a big thing that we're we're going through in our our country. I have always thought that putting your name up and having it inscribed, chiseled into stone, is a bad idea. Yeah, and 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 that is something I was thinking about before I read your book and your your book in so many ways, just fired all these different neurons of things I was thinking about. But for example, you know, the Sacklers, when they gave to museums, were very controlling mm -hmm. about this is where we want the money to go. This is how big our name has to be. Right. This is, our name has to be all over the place. It has to be in the men's room and the women's room. It has to be on the urinal. And this gets into the whole question of why are you doing this and performative acts of goodness right. and kindness, which is, I think, also been a huge issue during the pandemic. Sure. I've encountered many times where people have said, there's this crisis or there's that crisis. And so we would really love it if you wore this shirt or wore that shirt mm -hmm. or said this slogan on the air. And I felt very uneasy about it because I'm anti-vax. We all know that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a dyed-in-the-wool racist. No, no. <laughs> no, none of those things. But uh, uh, I never wanted my comedy to mean anything. <laughs> You know, I never wanted, I wanted to try and make people laugh. Yeah. But uh, I never wanted the comedy to like educate, elucidate, sure. very, show you the right way to be. Very dangerous terrain for a comedian to be like, I'm, this is, you're laughing, but you're learning as well. Like that, <laughs> and it, that's a scary thing. Part of the point of writing this book to me was these questions don't have answers. There's no, there's no like the, the, right. the title of the book is a joke, obviously, because the point is like, you're, you, there's no answer here. There's no right thing to do. It's, you're always saying like, well, 
what's what's the they're both bad what's the slightly better version and you try to aim at the slightly better version to the best of your ability social media has made it very tricky because <laughs> anyone can hashtag do the right thing, <laughs> uh, you know, while they're taking, right. uh, you know, a selfie of them uh, in a thong burning a $10,000 bill. Um, and uh, <laughs> that's the right thing in this scenario? I know. No, no, what I'm saying is despite, oh, they can hashtag that and it's like, hey, I'm still good because I hashtag do the right thing. Very confusing situation. I was trying to imagine what bizarre version of the ALS challenge it would be to wear a thong and burn a $10,000 bill. I hope there's a $10,000 bill. Uh, get on that, would you, Matt? Is there a $10,000 bill and who's on it? Is it Tilden? Who is it? It's got to be some obscure I'll political check. figure. It's okay. Tilden. I think it's Tilden. It's yeah. got to be yeah. Tilden. 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 Please. Tilda Who's Swinton. Tilden? Yeah, Tilda. Um, <laughs> Tilden Swinton. Okay, the $10,000 bill featuring the portrait of President Lincoln's Secretary of the Treasury, Salmon P. Chase. Salmon P. Chase, yes. Salmon? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Salmon P. Chase. Yes. Yes. Like the fish? S spelled that way, That's yeah. That's really not the thing to yeah. cling to in this story. <laughs> You've, but she's right. <laughs> they then got onto a 40-minute conversation about salmon. <laughs> Sona, where else can you go surfing and skiing the same day, huh? I don't know. Or check out a world-class art museum and then camp at a dark sky sanctuary that night, huh? Uh, yeah. Yeah, where else can you hike through Redwoods and then get a luxury spa treatment? Where? Well, you live there, California. <laughs> California, Sona, no matter where California. you go across the state, you'll find a way to play. I'm a California resident. So are you. Sona, you are a lifelong California resident. I'm a lifer. I love this place. This is a beautiful state. Gorgeous. So many different, wonderful ecosystems in one state. You can hang out by a Palm Springs pool. You know, you can go whale watching. You can go hiking in Yosemite. And then uh, talk about the great cities in California. You get all this amazing food, sushi, whatever you want. They got it in California. Hey, if you can't find it in California, man, you got a problem. Yeah. I shouldn't have done that. I made that up on my own. Anyway, I love California. Discover why California is the ultimate playground. Head to visitcalifornia.com to start planning your trip today. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. This is unbelievable. I've been talking about this idea for years. I know. I want you to explain it more. I can. Okay. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required access from anywhere. I had this idea years ago. <laughs> I was telling people no one listened to me. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems. Remember when I said that? Yeah. Because you've got one unified, unified business, business management, management suite. suite. You yes. said that. Yeah. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math, man. Yeah. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Conan, netsuite.com slash Conan. I'm going to say it one more time just for emphasis, netsuite.com slash Conan. Hey, 
Is your money just sitting around being lazy? Yeah, it is. Yeah, I don't like that. Get a job, money. No, that's not what I meant. But in a way, it is what I meant. Okay. That's a good point, Sona. You have hard-earned cash, and it should always be working towards a better financial future for you. Your money shouldn't be sitting around, you know, watching reruns on TV and eating nachos. It should be working (laughs) for you. Well, guess what? Robinhood pioneered commission-free stock trading over a decade ago. They continue to offer innovative products to help you maximize your money's potential. That's good. You got to have that money working for you, man. Yeah. With over 23 million funded customers, Robinhood is helping people build a better financial future. With Robinhood, it's simple to make investments towards your future goals, whatever those may be. We all have some bucket list items to cross off, and Robinhood has tools to help you pursue them. Investing a small amount now could make a big difference 30 years down the road. That's good. Isn't that a nice thing? Give yourself 30 years from now a gift of what you do now. (laughs) It's nice to be in the driver's seat and have autonomy when making investments, which is easy to do with Robinhood. Take your financial future by the reins. Download the app or visit Robinhood.com to learn more. Investing involves risk and loss principle is possible. Remember that? Other fees may apply. Returns are not guaranteed. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC is a registered broker-dealer. So to tie this back, to do your job for a second and make this podcast uh, get back on the rails, when you're Thanks talking about, when you're talking I'm glad about you're the, here. <laughs> so when you're talking about the tipping thing, like that's performative, but it's a performance for one person. That's what's interesting about it to me is mm-hmm. like I, I when I found myself doing that, it was like the only person who would even see this is the person who's receiving the tip. And it's so it's it's a micro version of performative yes. donation or giving or whatever you want to call it. And yet it's still when I realized I was doing it and had been doing it for a long time, I felt like gross about it. I felt like sick about it because I was like, am I so shallow? I need even on an individual basis, I need people to know that I'm a good I'm the good kind of person who tips. That's a very odd human foible. And I think I, as I. I wrote about this too. I went around and asked, I did a straw poll of all of my friends and every single one of them copped to doing essentially the same thing. Yes. It's a fascinating thing about humanity that we, on on a one-to-one basis, we want other people. I weirdly think it's an optimistic thing because I think what it means is we all want to do good things and we want to be seen as the people who do good things. There's something, even though it's kind of weird, I still, I took some hope from it because I- I feel like if the instinct is in us somewhere to not only do a small, kind gesture, but to be seen as the kind of people who do those gestures, even if it's embarrassing, I'm kind of, I don't know, it makes me kind of hopeful or something. Well, because it's a societal glue. It's an yeah. adhesive. When uh, when you look at footage of January 6th, you can really feel what's, really, what's going to hold this thing together. Right. And um, I think individual... Acts of goodness, even if, even if they are done so that people feel can feel like a good person, and they're getting, yeah. where there's no such thing as a, a, a you know, it's a completely selfless act. Uh, if that's what holds us together, then fine. Yeah, so I mean, the scary thing when you're talking about you know national or global events is like, you know, you think like this is it's a nice idea that these little acts of kindness or societal glue can hold us together, but there are institutions that are far, it's a little bit like the global warming thing, right? Like drive an electric car, use less water when you water your yard. Those are all good things to do. 
And then you read an article that says like, well, 85% of the water used in California is used for agriculture. So yeah. you turning off your faucet while you brush your teeth, like it, even if every single person in greater California did that, there's still enormous other things that need to happen. Right. That to me is the is the danger is that you get into this zone of, well, nothing matters. Nothing matters. Then it doesn't matter. Then why right. should I bother? Right. And, and I do feel that even though it is true, factually true, that- turning off your water when you're brushing your teeth isn't going to solve the drought. That the mindset that goes along with acts like that, that is the, that's what's important. This gets into not just moral rules, but I have comedy rules. I know you have comedy rules. Sure. Uh, I know our, our mutual uh, good friend, Greg Daniels, has a lot of comedy rules. And we're a believer in comedy rules. And if we see other people not following comedy rules, or we think taking shortcuts, uh, it can make us, it can cause us some kind of pain. But if it looks like it's working, then you think- <laughs> That well, causes what? you more pain. It causes me more pain <laughs> and rage. Yeah. Uh, and then I start to think, well, what am I have my stupid rules for? And then I think, that's not the point. The point is, right. I made these rules a long time ago. I think these rules are important. They're important to me. They may end uh, end up being meaningless, but- I need to follow that path. Yeah, well, that's one of the hardest things about trying in any way to, to be ethical in the modern world is that you can look around and see a whole lot of people who are not only not trying, but are actively trying not to be ethical. And they're like really rich and powerful. <laughs> and you're like, <laughs> yeah. well, what's the point then of of trying? It's harder to, to make ethical choices. Very frequently, it's the more difficult choice. It's either more, requires more time, energy, money, concentration, whatever. And when you see a bunch of people who are wildly successful by flaunting the very concept of being ethical or caring or having any kind of moral compass, it's a real bummer. It's just like, well, then why am I working so hard to figure out what the right move is where I park in this grocery store parking lot or whatever when there, that guy is the, you know, as a senator. It's <laughs> like happily yeah. living his like life. Well, also of, we like, have a, insider trading. You know? We have a um, you know the elephant in the room is we've we've had a president Trump, even his followers, his ardent followers, don't think he's an ethical person. Right? They just think ah screw it that doesn't matter. I like I like his swagger. Yeah. And so I think and and that's a hardcore MAGA hat wearing. Uh, uh, Trump should serve 35 terms and should, and should continue to serve after he's a corpse. He right. should still serve. That person, if you started to say like, well, can we just look at his ethics? They'd say, ethics, schmethics. Yeah. What are we talking about? That's yeah. not what we're talking about. And you think, well, I mean, yes, nobody's, nobody's perfect, but this is someone who clearly thinks that that's a joke. Well, I also think that part of that is that we have now been through any number of presidents and senators and everybody else who's in power in this country who have claimed to care about ethics and then have been revealed to be deeply unethical people. And so mm -hmm. I think part of that attitude is actually, to my mind, understandable. Yes. It's like, well, yeah. that last guy said he was, uh, or not the last guy, the last guy was ethical. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Bill Clinton said he was uh, claimed to be a sort of like ethical upstanding guy. And he had certainly has more than his share of problems. And so do an, any number of senators and Congress people who yes. have 
who have put forward the idea that they are the good kind of people. Right. In, and then it's like there's a terrible scandal. That yeah, in, in a way that Trump's people would say, and, and and maybe they're not wrong, is even, you know, like quasi-refreshing. This is someone who said, didn't pretend. Right. Didn't pretend. Said, hey, look, I've been in New York real estate. Yeah. And you don't know how- He happened. talked about it. He's said, <laughs> I, I know the system, only I can work the system. Like he yeah. was, yeah, he was bragging about right. the fact that he knew how to get dirty and that, and that, and the people, I think, were refreshed- felt a sense of like, this is refreshing that yeah. he's, that he's just saying like, yeah, I'm going to do a bunch of weird stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you have no idea how terrible I can be. He told us that up front yeah. in his, in his inaugural address. Yes. He said, just watch. You, you're not, you ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> this is going to be awful. <laughs> and you got to give him that because, um, you know, we've been this, there's this, uh, controversy in the last year, year and a half, two years of taking down statues. Mm -hmm. We clearly have had these great people in history that have contributed great things and great ideas mm -hmm. and we built statues to them and then were confronted with great flaws in their character, terrible things they did, and there's a big debate. And I have long been of the opinion that there shouldn't be a statue of any human person. <laughs> <laughs> that, that the minute you carve something out of stone right. and put it up, you're at the same time, you might as well set a timer. Yes. Because... Um, there's an expiration date. There's an expiration date on all of us. And it's why uh, I was raised uh, very Irish Catholic and in the church and grew up seeing people, you know, put into caskets and there's a graveside memorial. And I, for a long time, have just thought, I don't want to, I don't want a grave. I don't Interesting. want, I don't want any piece of earth that says, here's where this man was. Cause I think I'm okay with just going away. <laughs> here's where this man was. Here's, well, that was. <laughs> poetic. <laughs> I spent a lot of time trying to sum up my life. And I came up with this. Here's where this man was. It's a stirring tribute to you. Here's where this here's man where was. this man was. Wait, so he lived here at his grave? No. Look, was it the best? I was trying to be poetic and it came out wrong. Just go with it. But it's written in stone. Certainly you had time over your life to change. Here's where this man was. No, I said it. You wrote it into your will. This is what you wanted the person to say. You had the stone made nine years before you died. I had this notarized. Why is there a statue of him here? One statue? There's seven statues. I've always wanted to be found uh, in a, left in a field somewhere where I can be found by people, um, <laughs> thereby, like kids on a scavenger hunt, finding me, and then that traumatizes them, and that's how I live on. You want their trauma. You want to be the cold open of a Law and Order episode. Yes, yes. Someone, a jogger. Someone stumbles onto you in it's a, a park. It's, it's always a jogger. It's always a jogger. It's yeah. always a jogger, and then like, oh my god! And they're in the middle of some personal drama with their girlfriend, and they're yeah. like, you, 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 and my mom. Mom never got along. And then, what? Right. Conan O'Brien. Conan O'Brien. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I've come to the no one should get a statue, and I'm bothered. I'm going to say, when I drive by huge tracts of land that have been given up to graves, I always think there's a timer on graves. People visit them for... Yeah. You know, a period of time and then those people pass on and then no one knows who that person was. And yeah. there's all this beautiful land that could be a Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> 
my god! And I think should be a Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> New, you got a little Boston with that. You were a little bit Mayor Quimby. Uh, oh, I believe every <laughs> funeral home and gravesite should be yeah. a Chuck E. Cheese. Should be a Chuck E. Cheese. The things that I've put forward here. First of all, someone out there is going to use uh, my uh, my gravestone saying, here, "Here's where this man was." Here's where this. <laughs> here's where this man was. Uh, and uh, and I think there will be a movement to turn most uh, large graveyards into Chuck E. Cheese's. Yeah. So. It's only natural. It's a natural fit. Have kids playing video games on the <laughs> on the pile of dead bodies underneath their feet. Instead of the bin. Wait, so instead of the giant bin of balls, it's going to be just, just kids skulls. rolling skulls around in skulls and, skulls oh and balls. Yeah. yeah, like the pool in Poltergeist. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I, I have a number of things to say about this because I, because I generally agree agree with you. I think that the problem with statues is that once a thing is carved in marble and put on a pedestal and like one year goes by, everyone loses perspective on the reason it was done to begin with. So yes. in this recent in this recent movement to take down some statues of people who maybe aren't deserving of them, there there's no difference, there's no distinction being made between a statue of let's say Thomas Jefferson mm -hmm. that was put up in 1807 or whatever, and a statue to a Confederate general that was put up in like 1952 <laughs> in New Orleans as part of a we wish segregation were still happening movement. Right. Because after a while, you look at those two things and they're just two stone or marble statues of famous people on horses and you don't understand that there is an enormous difference between venerating guy A and venerating guy B in terms of the motivation behind it and the people who did it. Yes. So that so that's one problem. Another problem is what you're saying about the countdown clock is real. My my pitch for the for the statue industry for big statue the the statue industry in America. We also get a lot of money from big statue. <laughs> my pitch is if you put up a statue, uh, there is a board of review. That after some amount of time, 25 years, 50 years, whatever, reviews it and says, like, do we still want this statue here? And then yep. you have to constantly check in because new information could have come to light or uh, the world could have changed in some way that now means that this person. The, the problem is that the, the veneration, the, the eternalizing and the yes. veneration of these people without any one being able to wave their hand a little bit later and say, hey, you didn't take into account this aspect of this person right. is problematic. And the last thing I would say is that it's very tricky to judge people from the past on the standards of the present. Yes. And we, yes. this country has had this enormous reckoning in a lot of different ways. Uh, you know, not just Me Too and, and post-George Floyd racial societal reckoning, but just in general, we're a very different country than we were even – call it 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And so there is a temptation to take the standards that we have now and go back to 1776 and say, well, that person didn't live up to these standards. And the and it's like, well, no, of course that person didn't live up to these standards. And if you try to apply the current standards to everyone in history, no one will measure up, right. not just not just Thomas Jefferson and George, John Adams and, and Abe Lincoln, but you and me, like the, if if someone you and I both worked no, at I SNL. Would, no, wait a minute. I would hold. I would hold up. No. Oh. <laughs> I am a bedrock of morality. Right. I think your statue would be 
uh, torn apart immediately. <laughs> I think the people sculpting it would get up to they the- They would be tearing it down as they were building. Yes, yeah. they'd get up to, they'd get above the waist and they'd, get, they'd be still chiseling away at the torso <laughs> Someone when, would come when they to... would start taking it apart. And uh, mine would uh, continue to exist long after this planet doesn't exist. Sure. Uh, so right. I don't know what your point is. Here lies, completely this, li here lies this perfect man. <laughs> Here's this where man this perfect was, man was. Right. <laughs> uh, I guess the only point is to say, like, yes. that's my board of review thing. Yes. Is like, let's say, let's let's give ourselves a little bit of a break in terms of applying all of the standards that we now have here in 2022 retroactively to everyone who's ever existed. Yes. And, but, and say, like, we're not going to do that, but we're also going to say that every so often we're going to check in and say, who are the people that we are choosing as a society to celebrate and venerate and who should be the 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 people who represent our country. And if those people don't live up and it's like, okay, well, it's time to move on. Like yeah, some people, some people are sacred. Like, look, George Washington owned slaves. There's no way around that. He also was the guy who founded the country. So you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater in every situation. Right. But, and this is the key, you also don't pretend he didn't own slaves. Exactly. Like that, that yeah. that's the thing that drives me crazy in this, in the the people who are complaining about the way that the country has gone and the way that we're doing this now, it's like they want to try to compartmentalize people. And there's no reason to do it. George Washington isn't offended by what we say about him now. He's been <laughs> dead for 200 years. And I don't see the problem in saying, holding two ideas in our heads at the same time. Yeah. He was offered, uh, the, he was offered King the crown. King for life, yes. King for he life, was and he turned life. it down. Right, and so let's celebrate what is amazing and incredible about that guy. And when we do that, let's also remember that he was a flawed person who lived in a flawed way, who owned slaves, which is a reprehensible thing to do, mm -hmm. and not try to pretend that either of those things isn't true. I'm reminded sometimes if there's a legal term of we will have zero tolerance, and that's something lawyers came up with, <laughs> meaning we can't be sued if we say this company – you know, Evil Co. has zero <laughs> has zero tolerance. Also a supporter of the podcast. Big, oh my God, don't get me started. Huge supporter. Their logo but, is all around the studio. It's, it's very impressive. They are, of uh, of the makers of Evil, they're the best. They are. Uh, they really up. get it out there. But, um, but Evil Co. Uh, can say we have zero tolerance for any kind of shenanigans and zero tolerance is not human. Right. And, and so uh, we're in a place where I think People making mistakes and forgiving them uh, or putting that into the context of their larger life seems like it it gets lost in moments. Yeah. I mean, look, I think that most of the people that I hear complain about what they now somewhat reductively and almost meaninglessly refer to as cancel culture are really complaining about essentially consequence yes, culture, yes, right? Where right, like right, in right. the old days, meaning pre-19 or 2017, I could do whatever I wanted and I would never get in trouble for anything. And now right. suddenly I'm getting in trouble for things. What the hell? Right. And that argument is extremely uh, uh, uh Bad. That's, yes. a bad. that's a bad argument. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I don't know what to say. I am 100% in agreement on that. I think when I talk about forgiveness, where I'm trying to take it is there's a lot of people who are afraid to take on questions of morality, right. questions of uh, ethics, questions of what's the right decision, because it can inevitably lead to, well, here I probably made the wrong decision. And I think that needs to be accounted for. And you account for it in your book. You yeah. say that- you can take on this pursuit and 
you can find yourself lacking and people can find one another lacking mm-hmm. and it doesn't mean they're damned to an eternal hell. Right. So the the last thing that I wrote in the book, the last chapter in the book is about apologizing. Mm-hmm. And uh, what I say is essentially this isn't really ethics, but it's sort of like adjacent somehow, which is like, we're going to screw up. When you screw up, like it's hard. Apologizing sucks. It's so hard and it's embarrassing and your face gets hot and you avoid it and you keep, you keep like having conversations with people you should apologize to and then not apologizing. Oh, to you're them. talking about apologizing and meaning it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I was thinking, oh, I, get, I, I, saw I was you. like, I don't know what the fuck this guy's talking about. I saw about. you were confused. Yeah. I didn't I'm understand. Saying, oh, sorry. I didn't pay you last year. <laughs> I'm a bookkeeping yeah. error. I should have clarified. Sincerely <laughs> Sincerely. Oh, so tell me, so what's that like? <laughs> so. <laughs> Your face gets hot? <laughs> you feel shame? What are you, what? Um, so I, so I wrote this chapter and, and I talk about in, I talk about how the, the Catholic church, to bring this back to your life, uh, <laughs> apologized to Galileo like 360 years after they put Galileo under house arrest for saying that the earth right. revolved around the sun and not vice versa. And, and, and I wrote this chapter and I thought it was pretty good, but it, I didn't have an ending for it and I didn't understand how to end it. And then I, I, it was like a week before the book was going to be printed. I suddenly realized, oh, I need to write something else. And the thing that I added was, okay, you sucked it up and you apologized. Now you have to put yourself on the other side of the equation. You have to understand that other people are going to screw up because they're also human beings yep. and human beings grew up. And so they're going to come to you occasionally and they're going to apologize to you. And what are they looking for when they apologize, when they face down that ugly feeling and that shame and that flushed face, what they're looking for is forgiveness. They're looking for you to say, it's okay. Like this caused me some pain. This upset me, but you are sincerely coming to me. And again, I know you can't relate to this, but you are sincerely coming to me and saying, I'm sorry. So what they what they want is forgiveness. And so now that's what we should all strive for. Right. And the key is what is a forgivable action? Like that's the question that none of us can really answer. And it's a one it's a individual uh, decision and it's on these things are on a on an individual basis. Whatever the person did that they're apologizing for, sometimes you'll find it forgivable and sometimes you won't. But the point is that you should start from a place of can I find it in myself to forgive right. this person for what they did? So I'm I'm very hopeful about this. I really believe that it's going to be okay. It's just that both sides have to – we have to get into a position where we get better at apologizing when we screw up and we get better at forgiving people when they have screwed up. And yeah. if we can get to that point, I think we'll be in a good place. You, you talk about this in your book and you talk about luck. Yeah. I think there are a lot of people, especially in show business – and and I that because that's the only that's the world I know. Right. And it's really the only world I care to know. Oh God. It's I'm the only not, world that matters. I well, thank you. From your lips to God's ears. <laughs> I don't want to he- I hear there are other people doing other things, building things and digging things. I don't want to hear about that. <laughs> um but the re- one of the reasons I bring this up is that uh I'm very conscious of the fact that there are people who really believe that they made their reality. Mm-hmm. And that's why they're a pop star or a comedian, a top, top comedian, that, that they made all this happen. Or they're, they're rich because they earned all of that. Mm-hmm. And I think, no, I'm, it, this gets very tricky for me, but there's, there's a lack of shame. There is a lack of perspective. Mm-hmm. There's you know, people that, this hubris that the reason I'm a billionaire 
or the reason I'm even a millionaire, uh, or that I have the nicest house on the street is because I of what I did of what I did, yeah. which is not the case. Correct. So many times. Yeah, I mean the example that I give in the in the book is Michael Jordan, where legendarily the hardest working, the most competitive guy. Right? He he worked harder than everybody else. He he rode his teammates harder than anybody else. He practiced mm-hmm. the most. He took the most free throws after games. Mm-hmm. You know whatever. The idea of saying Michael Jordan didn't deserve everything he got seems crazy, and and I understand that. But Michael Jordan was 6'6". He didn't get 6'6 because he worked really hard at being tall. <laughs> like, he didn't put in the time in the gym. He actually, blow. well, I'm sorry. He he went to Sweden. And Did he, he really had, get stressed? He had, he had four vertebrae inserted <laughs> in a very controversial uh, surgery in 1977. I see. Uh, yeah. I should issue a retraction. Uh, but also- I, too, have had that surgery. He, you know, it's not just his height. It's also his- parents being supportive of what he did uh, as a as a child and being able to to pay for equipment it's his it's the date of his birth i mean the thing i say in the book is michael jordan's born 50 years earlier no one's ever heard of him because Bas- the nba didn't really exist and he wouldn't have even been allowed into a non integrated nba right, like right. so it, you it, it is it does require this extra level of like you say google earth zooming out to kind of understand this stuff but it's something I think about all the time in relation to my own life, and it's because my particular path, I, I just always have focused on these weird sliding doors moments where I could have gone that way. I, 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 though I went the way I went because it seemed like, well, oh, I'll try this, and then it turns out that's the greatest possible way I could have gone. Like I, I happened to decide to leave Saturday Night Live in, after the 2004 season mm-hmm. because my then-girlfriend, now-wife, had moved out here. We were dating long distance, and it was like one of us has to move. So it's like, okay, I guess this is the year I'm leaving. And so I was like, I'll go to L.A. I'll try to get a job. And I essentially got one job offer, and that one job offer was from Greg Daniels, who was adapting The Office. Mm-hmm. And I know that I – that he picked me out of the giant pile of scripts because he liked my writing. Like, that's the part that I did. But then the success of The Office was maybe 1% due to me and 1% due to Mindy Kaling and 1% due to BJ Novak and 1% due to, you know, 5% due to Steve Carell and 4% due to whoever and 81% due to Greg Daniels. Greg right. Daniels made that into the thing it was. And it, and I just, my little, my little floating dinghy happened to like float up next to his cruise ship at the exact right moment and he yanked me on board. So it's not it's not self-deprecating to say that you're a lucky person. I no. think the reason people sometimes don't want to do it is because they feel like, but I've worked so hard and I've done, I've made these choices and I put in, like I worked harder than I've ever worked when I was on the office because I just wanted to do a good job. And it doesn't take away from what I did to say that also I was the benefit of this wildly good yeah. fortune well, that's, that, that led to the whole thing. You know? I think to try and, you know, uh, there's some common themes here. And one is keeping two ideas in your head, seemingly contradictory ideas in your head at the same time is uh, a very uh, wise definition of intelligence. And importantly, in terms of empathy, which I think is a is like a, we're at, we have an empathy deficit in the world right now. And if you can hold those ideas in your mind, then your, your next logical conclusion is there are people who work really hard who are not lucky. 
Yeah. And there are people who are really lucky who don't work hard at all. Yeah. And when, and both of those things are painful in different ways. Like if you see someone who is rich and famous and successful and powerful and doesn't do any work at all, it can be really irritating. Yeah. And if you see someone who you know who is incredibly hardworking and diligent and talented and has just been super unlucky and has a tough life, that can cause you pain as well. And it just helps you keep those things in perspective and remind you that like when you work really hard and are really lucky, that is itself its own kind of luck that is uh, that you should bow down and be grateful for, you know, like that it, it helps you understand other people more too, I think to know that those two things are true, that, right. and that, you, that some people have one and not the other, some people have both, some people have neither. I get on this thing about the internet, which is the internet as, it's a brand new tool. It's changing society more than the atom bomb did in 1945. Without question. It is um, It is shoving us and our, our egos and ids, it's shoving it all up against each other. And that's why we're having this conniption fit right now, to use a term that no one's used in well over 140 years. <laughs> I heard that on Leave it to Beaver. Yeah. Thank you. I, I'm trying to educate. We're having a real conniption fit here. Um, as my mother would say, it's all sixes and sevens. <laughs> what? Don't ask me. I don't know. Her other one was, I think things have gone randy-boo. <laughs> no. Yes. Trust me. I grew up in a very strange house. No. But uh, we're being shoved up against each other. And I think that I attribute so much of this to the internet because I don't think I think we will adapt. I don't think we've adapted yet. No, we're this is the this is the rubber meeting the road and it hasn't settled. Like yeah. you know, I the way I think of it always is you know that thing of like if you're angry you're you were when we were kids back in the in the olden days mm -hmm. people would say if you're angry at someone write a letter but then put it in your desk drawer overnight. Yeah. And if you still want to send it the next day then you send it and almost always you you end up realizing like, okay, I've cooled down. I don't need to send this letter. The internet is is like, you get angry, you write the letter, you march over to the person's house and you shove it in their face <laughs> and right. point to it. And, <laughs> and with the letter is a picture of your penis. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's the big difference. Yeah. I don't understand why this yeah. penis is here. Well, I added that because I was aroused. My anger, um, my anger, <laughs> my anger me. towards you over your Hyundai backing into my Excel <laughs> angered me and aroused me. And then I, I took this picture of my penis and taped it to the letter I put through your mailbox. Um, but no, I think that's uh, that's exactly right. That the other thing is, um, I think the good news about humanity is most of us, I think, when confronted with a person who's in pain, we we want to help. Mm -hmm. I've seen this time and time again. More people are good than are not good. I agree. And when when someone's in pain, um, when someone's unhappy, when someone's uncomfortable, the urge is to to help to help them feel better. And that's I don't care who you voted for. I don't care what if you're wearing a MAGA hat or not. That is most of us. Mm -hmm. Most of us want to help another human being. What the internet's done is obviously uh, made everyone seem not real. Yeah. So that that person's virtual. They just said that my idea was stupid. So I just wrote back, I hope your mother dies. Right. <laughs> what, I mean, first of all, that's an exchange that I apologize for. <laughs> <laughs> and I was talking to my brother, which really made it fucked oh, up. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> 
fortunately, my mom's fine, but I just lost it. And I forgot that we had the same mother. Uh, but, um, but I do think it's making, it's the others. Yeah. It, it's too easy now for there to be others. Well, whereas, everyone's anonymous. It's yeah. not even, there's no, the picture is like a cartoon dog and the name is a jumble of letters and numbers. And you're, don't, you're not thinking of people as human beings. I mean, I've often thought that the single best way to cure a lot of the like darkness and evil on the internet is just make it a law that everyone has to use their real name. Yes, <laughs> I'm a tip. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. I, and I say this, by the way, as a guy who's, whose Twitter handle is at Ken Tremendous. So it's like, I'm, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not. Oh, I'm you were born Ken Tremendous. That's true. It's my. It's in <laughs> Ann Arbor, Michigan. And it says here, 1952. <laughs> God, you're old. Um, I, um, you know, I will say this. We have talked longer than I usually talk to anybody. Is that true? Podcast. How long have we been talking? I, when I was talking to President Obama on this very podcast, when he got to 50 minutes, he was mid-sentence saying what he thought the new direction of America should be. And I said, that's all the time we have you for gave you. gave him a swift kick in the ass. Yeah. And then I, well, I didn't kick him physically because there was secret <laughs> service, but I did. I cut it short. And then I told people about this amazing service called Fracture, where you can get <laughs> oh, God. you can get Come a print on. put on glass. Oh my God! Fracture. If you've got a print and you want it on glass, make uh. it Fracture. By the way, President Obama also talked about luck when he was on this very podcast. Yes, he did. Uh, and uh, and I um, it made me think. Uh, well, I should be president. That's what I really thought when I heard him. <laughs> I thought the same thing. Yeah. I said. Uh, Mike Schor should be president <laughs> because I'd only ever seen your name written and not read. Um, We've met many times. I know. Yeah, I know. We have. <laughs> and trust me, I know how to say your name. Can I say one more thing yeah. uh, before you give me a swift kick in the ass and kick me out of here is I'm a person, as you might have been able to tell from reading the book, who uh, is tortured. I'm personally tortured by my own failures, mm -hmm. my own ethical and moral failures. And um, this isn't technically ethics, but at the Emmys in like 2000 and something, uh, I, I ran into you. This is literally 20 years ago. And you were with your wife, mm -hmm. Liza. And you said, uh, I came over to you. I had only met you maybe once or twice, but I saw you. And I think maybe you, your writing staff had just won mm -hmm. uh, for the first time. And I went over to congratulate you. And I said, hey, congratulations. You said, thank you so much. This is Eliza, my wife. And I said, Hi. And I essentially turned away from her and talked only to you for about eight minutes. Mm -hmm. And she sat or stood next to you the whole time. And it is a thing that has tortured me for 20 years <laughs> uh, that I was so rude and unpleasant to her and that I, that I basically was talking to like the guy I knew, but also like the famous person. And I'm sure this is a thing you've talked to your wife about uh, before, but I, it has honestly, like, I think about it probably once a month Oh, for 20 years. I've thought about how, uh, that if I, and I haven't seen her since. And I would like to, it's so funny because she her. thinks of it constantly. Yeah, I'll bet. <laughs> and, uh, no, um, no, but it's one of those things that well, you, that's, you learn. I know about, what you mean. You know? I know what you mean. We all have those, we yeah. all have those moments where, um, but, uh, fortunately, um, my wife, by the way, yesterday, we celebrated uh, 20 years married. Congratulations. Um, so it's time to move on. Uh, oh, you, you got married on January 12th? Yeah, we did, in Seattle. <laughs> and Greg Daniels was there. <laughs> Why Jan was January 12th in Seattle is an odd date and time and Cause, place. Because most people worry, will it rain on our wedding? <laughs> <laughs> and we knew it definitely will. You wanted the and you wanted the coldest rain. We yeah. wanted a cold, dreary rain to make the rest of our marriage look great. Uh, my wife is a uh, is remains the loveliest person I know. She's 
and um, and very understanding and uh, would not hold that against you for a second. So I, you stop worrying about that. I, I'm um, glad to hear you say that. I would like to hear her say it so I can actually believe it. Well, you're not going to get that. I'm not, because she hates me. She's livid. <laughs> and also, uh, she is a massive fan of your work. Oh. And as I said, The Good Place was uh, required viewing for the entire family. Uh, and... Um, I also would be remiss if I didn't mention, you brought up Greg Daniels uh, in this interview. Greg was my writing partner when we started out. And uh, I think if I hadn't started out with Greg and had him at my side, uh, I would not have jumped into this business. I was way too scared. And it turned out um, that uh, I chose just the nicest, most brilliant guy to help me get launched in this business. So I'm so glad that you have consistently said such nice things about Greg because he deserves it. And he has done so much for so many people in their careers. Yeah. And um, unlike me, doesn't demand praise <laughs> no, on the air. He is, is confused and scared by praise, I yes, would Yes, confused like. and scared. As, as opposed to me, while we've been doing this uh, interview, I've had nine portraits of myself <laughs> made. And 35 statues have been erected. The statues I was going to bring up. Yeah. yeah. We've had a but lot you of know statues. what? My, my, uh, my solution to the statues things is let's not make them out of granite. Choose a stone that dissolves over a 30-year period. Uh-huh. So the statue has to be rebuilt. All stones should be made of like a very hard soap. <laughs> <laughs> and then literally the guy starts to fall off the horse and the horse starts to collapse. The horse slowly just is kneeling and yeah. then kind of tips over on the side. Yeah, yeah. and that, that's what I that's my solution. All statues <laughs> made of a very durable soap. I love this idea. And then, yeah. you, and then you don't have to have a public referendum. It's just like, right. hey, there's uh, two more rainstorms and we're done with this guy forever. Uh, well, I'll say this, uh, Mike Sure, The world is a better place because you're in it. You've made uh, so much great television um, and by the way, just as a side note, when I watch uh, your shows with my kids, occasionally I've seen them mouthing along with them because they've watched them 15 times. Uh-huh. And that I find frightening. <laughs> uh, and I think of all the books they could have been reading. So fuck you. Uh, anyway, make sure. Yes, I, I got Sona, I got it. I got it. <laughs> you did. I wasn't sure whether he was going to say fuck you to no, me. No, no, yeah. right? he, he got it under the wire. I'm the only guy to really give it to Obama. Uh, How to Be Perfect, the correct answer to every moral question is a tremendous book. Get it. You're going to love it. And um, if that's not enough, you can watch The Good Place, The Office, Parks and Recreation. The list goes on and on and on. This was really fun. We got to do it again. Make sure. Anytime. Thank you so much. On the way in today, Sona, I was thinking about just how much has changed over the years. Yeah. You know, when I was a kid, we were all dancing the Jitterbug and the Watusi. And then you grow up now and there's mosh pits and everything's gone cuckoo. There's this new thing called rap. I don't know what's happening anymore. But guess what? In a world full of change, there's one thing that hasn't changed. Mm -hmm. The great taste of Miller Lite. Are you with me on this? Oh, yeah. I'm right there with you. Yeah. And you know, another thing that hasn't changed is that it's less filling. Yeah. I hate a filling beer. When I have a filling beer, I just want to sit down in a beanbag chair for six days, but not with Miller Lite. So what's the best thing about the original light beer? Mm -hmm. Back in 1975, the big debate in America was what's more important, that it 
It's less filling, Miller Lite, or it tastes great. Yeah. The cool thing is when we all realized it's both. Okay. It's less filling and it tastes great. Yeah, all right. Everybody wins. Everybody wins. Miller Lite keeps it simple. Undebatable quality. Great taste. Only 96 calories. You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and it's less filling. Tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right to your door, visit MillerLite.com slash Conan. Or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Yeah. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories per 12 ounces. Fewer cows and carbs than premium regular beer. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all sometimes have issues or things we need to talk about, get off our chest. I have that all the time. Don't you, Sona? I do. Yeah, and we need people to talk to. And we carry around different stressors. We carry big stressors. We carry small stressors. Uh, I was raised in a culture where you're supposed to kind of bottle it up, and I've learned over time that that's not the best thing to do. If you do let things rattle around in there for a while without talking it out, it can affect your life very negatively. Well, therapy is a safe space where you can get things off your chest, figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. BetterHelp's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. A lot of people have a barrier towards getting therapy because they think, well, I don't know, I've got to find the person, talk to them. What if I? it's not a good match? I, then it's awkward. None of that. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and then you switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Conan today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Conan. Okay, I'm not sure when this is going to go out as part of the podcast, but it's an experience that happened to me yesterday, mm. which is I was uh, taking my dog for a walk. I have two dogs, but uh, the other one's quite old. Whenever I say, do you want to take a walk? He says, go fuck yourself. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, very. And he says it in perfect English. He might just oh, not want to be seen with you. Probably. Yeah. But then the other younger dog is always cool to go with me. So we went on this hike up through Will Rogers uh, National Park. And it was really nice. We were having this nice walk. And we stop. And I bring water with me so the dog can drink plenty of water. And this guy recognized me. And he came up to me and he said, uh, oh, hey, Conan. Could you help me out? I'm about to propose to my girlfriend. Whoa. And, and I didn't know what, what part I was going to play. And, and he said, can you videotape it for me? What? And what? handed me his phone. He handed me his phone, which was already set to video. Oh. Wait, you what's... are the last person Why? What do you I say would that? ask to videotape. Why? Because I feel like you would mess it up. No, and I'm not okay. saying that to hurt your feelings. Oh, is there another way that can be taken? I don't know. I feel like <laughs> you would just forget to press the red button. No, it was going. I've checked to make sure that it was going. He didn't trust me either, clearly, because he started it and handed it to me. <laughs> so he has video of me saying, um, and I think, I, and then the first thing I said to him was I looked at him and I saw that his girlfriend was up the trail just a little bit chatting with someone else. And I said, are we sure about this? <laughs> Oh, 
because I just thought, you know, guy to guy, you just want to say like, and it was kind of joking, uh, but I'm like, are we sure about this? And he went, yes, I'm sure. And then I realized, why did I say that? Yeah. Because oh, what I if- I thought you meant, are we sure about this me as videographer? <sighs> no. You know. Okay. No. Stop. Would you guys get off that for a second? I know how to okay. aim something. I can aim something. It's already <laughs> running. All right? That's okay. that's that's not and that's not a big claim, but let's just shut up about the- <laughs> Don't, don't phones just explode when you hold them because they know you're so stupid? <laughs> so no, they? I um, they do not. Okay. Several did, but most don't. <laughs> so I said, we sure about this? And he went, yep. And then I immediately was like self-conscious because um, I'm thinking, why did I say that? I'm going to mess this up. Um, <laughs> Sorry. No. <laughs> Shut up. But then I realized like, that's a rude question. Like what if he had said, gee, I don't know. That's, no one's oh. asked me that yet. Oh. I might have. Oh. Uh, so, but he, he was uh, he was the surest young man I've ever seen. Well, and so, judgment though. Um, I <laughs> shut up. So he goes up and he starts. First of all, he takes out. Uh, he has a backpack. He goes up to his girlfriend and he's like, "Hold on a second. She's like, "What's going on?" Ooh. He takes out of his backpack. He takes a knee pad. Straps what? it to his knee, yes. Huh. And then he kneels, hence the knee pad, in the dirt. Yeah. And she's like, what's happening? And then he takes out the box and then she puts her hands up to her mouth and she's starts like, I think, crying. And you're standing there? I'm standing there. Now, listen, I'm a distance away and I didn't want to blow it. If I, if I go rushing up and I'm shooting, she's going to know something's happening. So I'm kind of far away. Not doing a pinch zoom or anything like Hold that? Hold on. But then I okay. start, I start- and you know what? I don't know to do the pinch zoom. <laughs> okay, okay. I'm just, just And guess just what? Checking. I don't, you're right. I don't know to do the pinch zoom. So what I do is I creep up and I'm moving closer and closer and closer as he's proposing. And then there's a tree and the friend who's there is also shooting it. And the girlfriend's face is blocked. And so I think I should move around for a different angle. I'm actually putting some thought into this. Huh. Yeah, so okay. I come up, coming on the tree, and then I get this like nice side shot. And you know, you can see that she says yes and everything. And then we're done. And they turn to me and they go, thank you. And I stop it. And then I realize that the way I've shot it, it was me being really conscientious about, you know, let's get in close, let's move around the tree. It's the point of view of a murderer. Yeah, this who's is the opening killing, scene from Halloween. It's the, the opening Steadicam. scene of any horror movie is a, a, a young man and a young woman kissing and Creepo is moving up and then moves around a tree to the side and then pushes in on them and comes in for the kill. So their oh. proposal video is like by Wes Craven, you know? Oh, man. And so, um, yeah. This is crazy, because you know what just happened to me? I'm not even joking. At Halloween, we were in South Pasadena, where the literally the Michael Myers house is, the house from Halloween. And we walk by, and two people, a guy proposes to his wife on the steps of the Michael Myers house, and I started videoing it and gave it to them, and oh I shot God. it for them. Wait, was he wearing a oh, wait. tattoo? Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. the same guy who's just going around following, <laughs> and he's a super fan of this podcast. You're next. And he's just finding all of you and he's like uh, I need you to film me proposing to my girlfriend and it's uh, is there the any wait a minute is, so you were filming them without even being asked I was asked to do it you're a creep you're a stalker no, no, behind no. the tree please Matt. that's just did they ask you or not to shoot it no but there was that's a, Matt, that's that creepy, is a Matt. sacred listen, moment hey, both of you shut your mouths and listen to me 
Okay. This is the angriest we've all ever been at each other. There's a lot of, shut up. You shut up. Shut up or I'll kill you. Quiet. Fuck you. Shut up. Okay. All right. This was at Halloween. So there was a crowd of people at this house. Everybody was filming it. Like it was, it was a celebration. It was. Oh man. It's, you know, that's, it's like a Mecca at Halloween where everybody goes there that likes the movie Halloween. Yeah. Well, anyway, I, I just want to say to that couple, their names are Paula and Hugh. And they just got engaged uh, at uh, Will Rogers State Park. And I was their videographer. I apologize that when you play the video, oh, please do this. When, when you, whenever you do look at that video, put scary music to it. It's yeah, going to look fantastic because I yeah. didn't mean to do that, oh my but God. it really does. I think you should definitely put scary <laughs> horror movie to it as I'm creeping up on you guys. And that, by the way, that's a service I do provide. You can call <laughs> me anytime uh, and and hunt me down and I will, uh, I will provide that service. Conan O'Brien needs a friend. With Conan O'Brien, Sonam Obsessian, and Matt Gourley. Produced by me, Matt Gourley. Executive produced by Adam Sachs, Joanna Solitaroff, and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson and Cody Fisher at Earwolf. Theme song by The White Stripes. Incidental music by Jimmy Vivino. Take it away, Jimmy. Our supervising producer is Aaron Blair, and our associate talent producer is Jennifer Samples. Engineering by Will Becton. Talent booking by Paula Davis, Gina Batista, and Britt Kahn. You can rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts, and you might find your review read on a future episode. Got a question for Conan? Call the Team Coco hotline at 323-451-2821 and leave a message. It, too, could be featured on a future episode. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. has been a Team Coco production in association with Earwolf. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Fluffy bread, fresh tortillas, classic burger buns, and so many carbs. Carb fear is real, but Hero Bread makes healthier versions of the carb-heavy favorites we love the most. We're talking fewer calories, 0 to 2 grams net carbs, 0 grams of sugar, and seriously great taste. Plus more of the dietary fiber and protein you want. No compromise. Don't skip out on your favorites. Just use Hero Bread. Get 10% off your order at Hero.co with code Hero10 at checkout. That's Hero10 at H-E-R-O dot C-O.